Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about documents that 401k plan sponsors can't afford to, can't afford to have missing. Uh, first things first, uh, of course, go to that401ksite.com for further information on our uh, live plan provider conference in January, our live plan sponsor conference in uh, October and pretty soon within the next few weeks we will have signups for our live in-person events in Texas uh, on May the 3rd 2024 and in Bronx New York on June the 7th also both Fridays um, thanks to Kina Mutual for being the first sponsor of the uh, Texas event in Arlington Texas our second go-around in Arlington, Texas, first time was at the home of the Cowboys. We will now be at the home of the Texas Rangers. Um, game will be the night before for those who are interested. You know, uh, um, it, we'll, we'll set something up. Uh, probably ask people to RSVP, shell out a couple bucks. Um, you know, sponsors obviously get comped and whatnot, but uh, looking forward to, you know, getting back to, you know, running a couple of live events for the year. Um, and of course, um, as this episode drops, I will be around getting up in the morning to take a flight to Seattle for like a two week trip on the West coast. But, uh, for those who always need to get in touch with me, I will still be out there, internet, phone, all that kind of stuff. Uh, when you have your own practice, there is no, um, you know, out of office email. So, uh, you know, taking for taking a vacation for the longest vacation I've had in, in probably uh, 34 years, um, something like that, or I think 33 years, or uh, I think since the my parents took us out to California on this Domenico bus tour, uh, but um, we're taking a tour. Uh, of the West Coast, from Seattle down to San Diego. Uh, I will not be taking a bus tour. I will be driving. I'm not afraid of the car. Um, and uh, going back to Seattle, uh, as many of you know, uh, that was the uh, venue for our last live conference. Didn't know that would be the case. Uh, but we were in Seattle last September, so I will be back and going to the Mariners game. And then hitting the other five California stadiums. My son's at 17 ballparks. My wife's at 20. I'm at 24. So we got a road to 30. I'll get to 26 by the end of this trip, hopefully. And then next year, uh, you know, run a couple of events and, and maybe just, you know, going out to Milwaukee or Cincinnati or some other place uh, that, uh, you know, we may not be able to have a live event. But of course, let's get back. Uh, of course, that 401 com. You know, we've got articles, we've got lots of things, a lot of good things, and uh, information about all the events. So, been a discussion, running a lot. Um, you know, you get to an age, you meet some high school classmates, your son graduates high school, you think a lot about the high school years, and we're in a couple articles. You know, one about how my idea about high school kind of changed. It wasn't as bad as I remembered it. And, you know, talking about my high, my high school graduation versus my son's. But um, talk about missing things. Um, there really is no excuse for not doing your homework. Uh, I remember 
for some reason, my mother pushed me to take the New York State Regents exam, you know, take the ninth grade math class in eighth grade. I wasn't a very good math student. My mother was convinced I was going to be a doctor. I knew from the third grade I was going to be a lawyer. Of course, I went out. So anyway, I was taking sophomore math, integrated math, in my freshman year. Ms. Mulholland was the teacher. She had this rule. She wasn't going to check your homeworks, but if she called out on you and three or four kids in the class didn't have it, then you were going to have to provide carbon copies of your homework. And for those that maybe a, you know, a little bit or a lot younger than me, you know, you, you took a, a, you wrote on a piece of paper, uh, underneath was a carbon, and then it would be a carbon copy. We're not talking about the uh, photocopies, we're talking about an actual carbon copy using carbon. And uh, of course, I was one of the three or four kids uh, that did do their homework for one day, so you know, I, I had to be singled out for you know, causing the whole class to uh, put out carbon copies of their homework and, and submit it in. So, in terms of missing things, uh, a plan sponsor could get a lot more trouble than I did in integrated mathematics for. Um, you know, having missing documents is going to cost you more. Um, so, these are really about the items that, you know, a plan sponsor just really can't afford not to have. Of course, number one off the top is plan documents and amendments. As we know, ERISA plans and even non-qualified uh, plans and ERISA non-403B plans, we need a written plan document. Um, we, 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 we can't put everything and joke about the matchbook. Um, we need a written plan document. And uh, ERISA came out in 76, I mean 74, effective in 76. and Every few years, the IRS requires a plan to be amended and or restated. Now we have this whole six-year cycle, which I kind of like because it's regimented. It's, it's always there. Uh, there are no constant delays like we had with the Gus restatement process, where I want to say the Gus restatement deadline was 99, and I don't think we finished until maybe 03. Um, and um, I like the six-year cycle. Uh, you know, obviously, it's... You know, the joke is, is that we change the requirements to restate plans every six years to keep ERISA attorneys in business. That's a joke. Uh, Bernie Kaur, uh, late great uh, pr professor at American University Law School, he used to say that by the bankruptcy code, so I always use that joke. Um, I will have to say that in my own practice, you know, restating plan documents is kind of easy. I haven't raised prices in 25 years since I've been doing documents. Uh, the reason is, is that Relias, who I use for volume submitter, has made things so much more easier, so much easier. Um, you know, you can send documents to PDF, you no longer have to go to Staples, bind the documents, print it out in multiple copies. It's uh, just, you know, a lot easier than the old days where you had this voluminous piece of software that somehow interacted or didn't interact in Microsoft Word and it was always impossible to make changes and, and whatnot. So the process of restating a document probably was double or triple the time that it takes now. Um, I will say that when I was the ERISA attorney at uh, a third party administrator, it wasn't as fun. Yeah, uh, you know, I didn't get a piece of the action. Um, 
the previous attorney who I replaced, he got a piece of the action. I think he got 30% of all the fees. Um, I didn't. 30% of, uh, you know, a million or so bucks over a couple of years is pretty good. But, um, you know, the problem with dealing with clients at this TPA, anytime there was an amendment or restatement, you had to be like Monty Hall and you had to make a deal. Um, Wayne Brady's great, but he's no Monty Hall. Uh, in terms of game show hosts, I will say, um, um, you know, Gene Rayburn is probably the best match game uh, guy, and Dawson is no longer the best uh, family feud guy. Uh, Steve Harvey, I think, is the best family feud host. And, uh, you know, I'm a kid who grew up watching Richard Dawson. That was my favorite show when I was in kindergarten. I had a PM kindergarten class. I think a bus picked me up around 1230. It's like a 1230 to 4 schedule. I'd watch a show at 12 o'clock. But anyway, had to be Monty Hall. You had to cut deals. You wanted to charge $2,500 for this client. You had to give two or whatever it is. It was just not a lot of fun. Uh, plan documents have to be updated to comply with current law. You just can't have a document that says, please see 415 for compensation. It's got to have that language in there. Um, you know, the problem with the plan documents and missing documents is that the IRS has this Kind of weird concept that if you don't have a copy of the amendment restatement, they treat as if you never had it. Which I jokingly say it's a weird concept. It, it makes complete success. Uh, it makes complete sense uh, that you know the dog didn't eat your gust restatement. If you don't have it, then you don't have it, um, and you you can't misplace it. So I think it's important to have copies of plain restatements amendments for you know obviously IRS and purposes, but also as kind of historical perspective. I worked uh, for a law firm for about a year, hated it. It was a union law firm, only union clients, and we had a pension plan client where we were working with the actuary and had to track back to the original 76 plan document uh, for pension credits and see what got, you know, moved over, what was changed. And I'll never forget the ERISA attorney that I was working for. She kept me out until 2, 3 in the morning some nights. She charged a client $30,000 for a plan amendment. And growing up as a TPA attorney, uh, you're all about doing what's best for the client. You flat fee bill everything. She charged him $30,000 for something that I think that, you know, as an ERISA attorney, if you screw up, you should eat the fee. But that's neither here nor there. Obviously, missing plan amendments and restatements. Caught on audit, that's a problem. It's a qualification issue. You can apply to the VCP program if you, you know, nip it in the bud and you understand it. Uh, obviously, plain disqualification gets thrown out there as some sort of penalty. Um, that isn't likely. It's always there. Uh, you know, uh, unlike the black book that they talk about in Vegas and movie Casino, um, the death penalty of plain disqualification is a possibility. I don't think in a situation like this, it's reality. If you have employees in the plan, you know, the idea that you would disallow employer contributions and immediate taxation of plan participants is kind of a strict penalty, and I don't think that it would work for this kind of mistake, but, you know, uh, I'm sure it has happened. But obviously, plan sponsors got missing documents, calling us attorney, and this is where I'm supposed to cough.
obviously missing 5,500. Uh, that is, uh, that is bad. Um, you know, we know that, um, 401k plans, any type of plan subject to risk has got to file one regardless of how much is in the plan. A solo 401k plan or any type of other retirement plan with more than $250,000 in uh, assets also has to file as well. It's got to comp be completed seven months after the end of the month of plan year ends with an option to extend the deadline for two and a half months. Keep in mind, if a plan terminates early, assets get strung out of the plan, you can't rely on 1231 as your measuring stick. You have to use the metric stick of when did you know, assets finally get distributed for that whole seven-month deal. And uh, it's it's a hot mess if you uh, fail to file a Form 5500. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times, plan sponsors are aware that they're late. Um, you know, uh, usually get the notice a year after it was due, and there's a substantial penalty. Uh, while there is a three-year statute of limitation for a filed Form 5500, there is no statute of limitations for missing 5500. So if you did it 20 years ago, theoretically they could get it, you know, get after you 20 years ago. And um, the IRS late penalty, I believe, is $250 a day, up to a maximum of 150k. The DOL penalty is about 2,500 bucks a day. I think 2529, with no maximum. I uh, I received a letter. A potential client with a letter from the DOL where it was an $86,000 penalty for a late 5500. If a plan sponsor is aware uh, that they are missing uh, a 5500 and they want to file it, it's recommended that they do so quickly through the DFBC pre process, the delinquent filer and voluntary compliance program. Uh, gives the plan sponsors the opportunity to fix it and pay a nominal fee. Um, and uh, I think the maximum penalty to pay under the DFECP is about four grand for an audited plan. Um, of course, keep in mind that a Form 5500 filed without a required audit is treated as if you'd never filed it at all. I just had a friend of mine who's a tax attorney, um, a friend of mine from day school, so I know him since about 1980. Uh, he's a tax attorney in Texas, I'm an IRS attorney out in New York, and he asked about a plan um, where there's a question about a limited scope audit and what constitutes a limited scope audit. Uh, he was saying that the client is relying on custodial statements. That is not a limited scope audit. And quite conceivably, they could get hammered with a penalty if the DOL and or IRS discovers, because they do read those audits that are attached to the 5500 you know, uh, they may treat it as, as a, a non-violent. Next, obviously, annual valuations. Uh, TPA was hired to record keep the plan, which includes compliance testing. After a census request and questionnaire filled out by the plan sponsor, they create an annual valuation, census, comp, contributions, compliance testing. It's really important to keep record of it. IRS conducts an audit. They want to see that. Uh, they, they talk about the year in question. That's a big document that they want. Um, you know, uh, I, I always talk about the plan sponsor that was accused of embezzling millions from her plan. And the reason why the deal suspected that, because there was no valuation prepared by her actuary. Um, it was a bad idea, uh, you know, for the actuary not to do their work. 
luckily for the actuary, he died uh, before he uh, could get sued uh, for the situation. And, uh, you know, uh, it's important that, you know, plan sponsor has an annual valuation and uh, keeps a copy of it. Next, investment policy statements, meeting minutes, and other fiduciary things. Uh, it's important that a plan sponsor has an IPS. I know it's not legally required to have an investment policy statement, but it should be done. Um, it's really a statement of principles. Uh, it explains when and why investments are chosen and they're replaced. The Department of Labor, anytime there's an audit, they ask for that now. Um, and of course, it's important that the IPS is, gets coupled with meeting minutes to reflect that the plan sponsor met with the advisor to the plan and talked about the IPS and seeing whether the investments uh, still fit the uh, parameters set forth by the IPS. Um, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's something that should be used. A lot of times you buy things for the house and you never use it. Uh, I think my house is full of those things. Um, but it's important for a plan sponsor to not only have an IPS, but actually to uh, run the plan according to its terms. Because I will say that if you had an IPS and you didn't follow it, it's worse than not having any IPS. It's all about a process and fulfilling that process and, and keeping pace with that process. Um, of course, plan sponsors you know, have fiduciary meetings, keep minutes, um, you know, have an enrollment meeting, you should keep the enrollment materials, have a sign-in sheet for these uh, meetings for the client. Um, but, you know, that's how I see it. And um, fee disclosures, obviously support the plan sponsor to keep those, as well as um, a record of benchmarking the fees. It could be simply, you know, taking the 401k average book and Comparing it, you know, just something that shows that the plan sponsor is aware that they're paying reasonable fees for the services provided. Last but not least, PDF everything. Uh, I used to be a big fan of paper until Hurricane Sandy filled five feet my office downstairs, five feet of water. I had a, a giant metal cabinet. Uh, of papers, documents, client work, and all that. It sat in my backyard for about nine months to uh, dry out. Um, so ever since then, I'm a big fan of scanning things, PDFing things. I've pretty much gone paperless. It's easier to find things on my network than missing, you know, misplaced paper files. It's the 21st century. Plain records should be kept online, including scanning important plain documents, such as all restatements and amendments. Um, you know, if you save everything digitally, uh, the chances of having missing records goes down exponentially. So I think it's important to, you know, save a couple of bucks, buy a scanner, uh, laser jet, office jet uh, printers have a scan. Um, and, you know, I grew up in the days when a laser printer was about 1200 bucks. LaserJet 4, and uh, now you can get a good LaserJet scanner for just a fraction of that, because now, you know, the printers aren't as good as they were back then. 
I had like a you know, LaserJet 4L printer. It was the first cheap Hewlett Packard printer. It was about 600 bucks. And that lasted me a good 12 years. And then every printer since then is just not as good. Uh, right now I have an office jet. Um, I lost one during the hurricane. They're okay. Uh, scanning can sometimes be a problem. They have issues here and there. But for a plant sponsor these days, it's just so cheap compared to what a scanner was, you know, 30 years ago. Because, you know, 30 years ago, you had a laser jet printer and then you had a scanner separate. They weren't, you know, all together. And, you know, now an office jet can do, um, you know, everything scanning, printing, faxing, copies. It's a great little toy to have and it's important that a plan sponsor uh, takes files, PDFs that keeps a record of it, uh, keep it safe and you know can certainly cut down on paper. So that's it for this week's episode and of course with my trip I'm gonna record back to back to back episodes. So you go in there every Friday fresh. Uh, I'll be on my trip but you'll get a new episode uh, hopefully every Friday for the next couple weeks. So uh, until next time, it's Ari Rosenbaum here with that 4 k Podcast and hope you tune in next week. Thanks. Bye.